podcast and we are not going to have an email show this time well ish ish as usual the dm fab four are here once again with dm glenn emphasis on the ish (laughs) dm jim neutral good podcaster reporting for duty dm liz is it I believe it is Liz. Thank you. Okay. Thank yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Today I am DM Liz. DM Liz. And Liz, DM Mike. And we're here to talk about another small niche games product. And not and not all the Doctor Who hoopla. Well, well not no, much. You know I can make no promises that. on that. That's right. <laughs> this time we're looking at one of the Supplement books that elaborate the various territories in Chronicles of Amherth, Ghoul Keep, and the Ghoul Lands. Mwahaha. But first, we're going to talk about what have we been doing? <laughs> what have we been doing, Jim? Gaming-wise. Dude, I don't know if I can limit to gaming-wise, because it's just been one giant arrested adolescent weekend for me with a 50th anniversary episode of Doctor Who. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> And uh, DM, uh, just last night, DM Todd ran us through our fourth and final session of Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, which we kicked in the teeth and sent home crying to its mommy. Woohoo! <laughs> woohoo! We ended the game um, sending the Duke's men who came with us that were parked outside the entrance back to the Duke to let him know we were setting up the new kingdom of the Barrier Peaks. Ow. And the, <laughs> the Duchy of Geoff has been annexed to that kingdom to police and envoys and building materials. Wow, is this is this the DCC version that you did? No, no, it's nothing to do with me. Uh, uh, DM Todd runs a. Uh, whenever somebody cancels a game at the store, he'll do a fill in, and we just got this four session thing through Expedition to Barrier Peaks. I think we're going to do Two Mahars next. Ooh, what not... version are you? Uh, what game system? Yeah. Oh, well, oh you... uh, first edition AD and D. Ah, okay, okay, Taco, which is, which is not rules light. <laughs> I, I'm rediscovering for myself. But, yeah, but I, you know, I, 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 I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy uh, the little rock star moments when it's your home system you grew up on, because you know the 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 twenty somethings are like Melf's acid arrow. I can't find it, not in the player's handbook. It's over in on Ar- Arthurcana here. Yeah, <laughs> tensor floating disc or, but I mean chariots we, of Sistar. Oh my God, we had fun. I mean, DM Todd is not a softy DM by any means. There were plenty of potential. TPKs, but there were just those like golden moments. You know, we hit the mind flare in the bottom, and and you know, I quirk off a twelve d six lightning bolt, and it just fails in his presence. And I'm like, oh, so he's ninety percent magic resistant, but he's not ninety percent grenade resistant. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. 
So that's what I've been doing. Cool. Glenn? Well, let's see. We had a nice little Labyrinth Lord game last week with DM Odinist. And uh, my my cleric, now I know why I play a cleric every once in a while. For some reason, it did not, never, never, ever occurred to me that clerics do not have to write down their spells on their sheet. (laughs) Well, he says, dude, you can do two first level spells. I'm a third level. Two first level spells and one second level spells of any of them. (laughs) Well, yeah, as long as you pray for them. Yeah, you, you can. You can mix a match, yeah. Yeah, I says, but I I don't have to write down my sheet. I said, no, 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 just you know, like tell me what you're doing. Fine, give me two blesses. (laughs) So, so is this for praying each day, or did he allow you to just summon them at will? He's doing the ad hoc thing. Oh, okay. He says you prayed every day. This is what you want to throw. Go ahead, Mm -hmm. and let me tell (laughs) you. Bless is nothing to be sneezed at. Oh no! Uh, uh, we ran, uh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, but I'm saying we ran into a big bad. I'm trying to remember what kind of big bad it was, but uh, I think it was something like a hobgoblin or something like that. And it's like, what do you? Oh, it was it was a it was a goblin shaman. And he says, "Well, what are you going to do?" And he says, "Well, first, got to get in there with everybody else." Okay, bless. Bless all our people. And he says, well, okay, so my next turn comes. Now what are you going to do? I point to the bad guy, curse. And it's like, boom. Oh, yeah. We get plus one. You get minus one. Have fun, you know. <laughs> That's one of the things I like about classic D&D is they're, they're much more relaxed when it comes to reversing spells. Yeah. That the AD&Ds are a bit more, you know, hard-nosed about. And... To me, that sort of encouragement of thinking on your feet should be done. Yeah. Um, like you just said, bless, then basically what amounts to the same spell, but reverse it as a curse on the bad guy. Right. And it's like, I, it's it was one of those eureka moments for me. <laughs> when, you're, when you're absolutely positively sure the person you're attacking is evil, cause harm. <laughs> bang. Cause that critical too. harm. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, harm. Oh, my God. Well, so what... What's the one in first edition where it's like it'll heal everything except 1d4 of your hit points, but the reverse will like hurt somebody, and they, all they have is like 1d4 hit points left? Oh, God. Yeah. And, that's, and, that, and that's a clerical spell. Uh, but, oh, man. It yeah, some of the cleric stuff, if you allow reversals, can, can do some damage with anyone. <laughs> yeah. Finger of heal. There we go. <laughs> I got some interesting stuff in the mail. In fact, in the mail, I've got 50, count them, 50 Crown Royal bags. Dun, dun, dun. From Mr. Alex Bates of the Forge of Ice Miniatures. You know, Glenn, the first step is admitting you have a problem. (laughs) No, not me. (laughs) Glenn has a problem. I know. Dude, 50 Crown Royals. Glenn wasn't careful. (laughs) Actually, actually, he sent... uh, he sent me some really nice mini- some sample miniatures too. They're really, you know, they're really well done. He's got a little turtle here. He sent me some slee stacks. Slee stacks. Ah, oh, cool. Me, he sent me three slee stacks. It's pretty cool. I don't know what's cooler: the fact he sent you them to you, or the fact he makes slee stacks to begin with. Yeah, it's real slee stacks. And my favorite one: it's a an owlbear rug. 
Oh, <laughs> I want that. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking we ought to get some slee stacks and give them to Chase. <laughs> yeah, I, I told I told him I give him a shout out on the show forgevice.com and I said next I'm sending him to Corey. He's our mini guy for Thaco's hammer. He's gonna love these. Are they twenty eight or thirty mil? They are. Or heaven forbid, twenty five. <laughs> no one does twenty five. No one does twenty fives anymore. Yeah, I know. Doesn't say. Promotional I've consideration been- for the Saver Die podcast has been provided by anyone who sends us free stuff. Yes. <laughs> Void uh, prohibited. Anyone I, who will consider going back to making twenty-five millimeter miniatures. I believe these are twenty-eight. And yeah, probably. Anyway, thank you, Alex. And if you want to send me another box of uh, Crown Royal bags, that'd be nice too. I'm, Please don't I'm, drink them all yourself. Yes, at, at North not Texas, at once, I'm, certainly. At North Texas, I'm going to go nuts with these things. Everybody gets bags. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> But so, uh, uh, thank you, Alex. And um, what else did I do? I didn't. I've been fooling around with tunnels and trolls and doing a show. Okay. Christmas, Christmas Carol. Oh, here's a nice little story. Tiny Tim wants to learn to play D and D. Cool. Gygax, bless him, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. The guy plays Fezziwig. He's. He said, "Yeah, I, I would play once in a while. Would you play Fourth Edition? Get away from me." <laughs> hey, no, he doesn't he, have a choice. He he may not have known any better. Yes, no, he's so. He, excuse me. He started bashing like he started bashing three five for being so organized. It's all right, three five. Then he started getting into second and first and basic. I said I play basic. He goes, Ugh. and it's like, dude, you know I do podcasts, right? <laughs> I know your I know your name. Dun okay. dun dun. It's possible to convert them because about half my group. There are 4E Pathfinder players, and it took five or six sessions, but they are now enjoying the old school style. That's good. That's good. I discovered a lot of people that bash the, you know, pre-2000 D&Ds do it mostly on hearsay. Oh, yeah. They haven't actually played it. They just heard horror stories and thought, oh, it must suck. Yeah. Well, that's just basic human neurology there. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, that's me, ForgeAdvice.com. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> okay. Michael? Well, Liz, I'm yeah, dying Liz? to hear what happened in your game to oh, me. Oh, Liz, sorry. I just want to ask Liz what happened in your guy's game to me, but not that other guy. <laughs> well, because we, re, I, had to watch the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special yesterday afternoon, we didn't go to our game yesterday. <laughs> That is an acceptable excuse. I, I stayed excuse. at home and I watched Doctor Who all day and I achieved nothing whatsoever other than just being planted in front of the couch and watching Doctor Who. <laughs> Although, to be fair, we weren't the first ones to cancel because of the Doctor Who thing. That's true. Guess what, God God. Guess what Tim Cask's favorite show on BBC America is? Doctor Who? No, no. Of, no, of course not. <laughs> Top, Gear. Um, Top Gear. So I, I, I said, listen, I promise in 2027 when it's Top Gear's 50th anniversary and that's all that's on BBC America for all week long, I will not be annoyed. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must admit, I have occasionally watched Top Gear and enjoyed it very much myself, but it's not my favorite. <laughs> God and Gygax saved me from cult sci-fi. <laughs> Never. You, Babylon 5, all that other crap. Never, 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 never. Liz, maybe you can talk me out. I'm I'm actually working on an adventure pitch called The Missing Cleric's Cabinet. 
Uh. Guess, guess what that adventure's a whole lot like. <laughs> I don't have a clue. What's it all? What's it about? Oh, a guy who's only known as the cleric, and his cabinet's missing. And when you step in the cabinet and step back out, you're going to Narnia. You're not where you started. Ah, okay. A blue you're cabinet. In, you're, yeah, you're in Narnia. Uh, my attorneys inform me the cabinet has to be red. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> Maybe aquamarine. Maybe you can chip off some of the paint and see that there's a little bit of blue underneath. It's a worn red cabinet. Yeah, we can see some blue underneath or something. <laughs> Perhaps anyway. teal. I'm going ju- I'm, I'm to jump in the pipe next to it and go to the Mushroom Kingdom. Thank you. <laughs> so we did game last week, though. That's true. That's true. Um, Who died? Who died? Uh, nobody, although I came awfully close. She did. Uh, I I got whacked really, really good. <laughs> For some reason, vampires don't like clerics. I don't know why. Especially huh. clerics who turn undead at a level four higher than their actual level. They really so don't She's like already, them. what, seventh, sixth, seventh? Yeah, I'm seventh level, and so I 11th. turn at four levels higher, so I turn as an eleventh level cleric. But you got hit for hit points, not levels. Yeah, it, I was. I, I got a a huge hit point blow that took out about two thirds of my hit points at once. It's like I'm gonna fall back for the next segment. Thank you. You know. <laughs> yeah, our DM uh, plays vampires a little more, uh, quote unquote, traditionally. So they do hit point damage until and unless they can actually get a bite in. And that's when they start doing level drain rather than the standard D&D, any hit is a level drain kind right. of thing. Well, yeah, I know it's a little scary to lose two thirds your hit points, but those will grow back. Those will grow back, yeah. assuming yeah. you can get out of combat long enough to, to do it. Otherwise, we would all be zero level dead people a long time ago. That's one thing. That's one of the big drawbacks for me for level drain is the fact that, you know, you get a couple of good get a couple of good hits in on you from a vampire, and it's like all of a sudden you're the party load. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember somebody saying it, but I can't remember who it was. But I think it was Chase who was pointing out it's actually harder to get a restoration spell than it is to get raised dead. True. And isn't that kind of silly? <laughs> it is. So, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's like, no, not the level drain. Just kill me, please. Level <laughs> sucker. Just kill me instead. I can get resurrected or something. Yeah. <laughs> or or what's that other one where it turns you into like an animal or something? <laughs> yeah, reincarnation. <laughs> That's does, great. Does You're a kobold now. Does a restoration spell require a 10,000 gold piece diamond? I think it does. I um, don't know. 5,000 gold piece diamond. If oh, I remember correctly. But then, again, that's easier to get. <laughs> yes. I see your point. Um, but anyway, emails. Yeah, what do we got? Everybody stop cringing. We've only got three. <laughs> I'm speaking to the audience. So yeah. All righty. Well, our first email is from Montana Squires. Montana the one you were complaining Squires. about last time. <laughs> Uh, Montana writes, Hey gang, my swords and wizardry game is starting to get to feeling a bit bland. The party is starting to hit the level 5-6 mark after about three months of regular play, 
and I was just curious to how you make your worlds magical and fantastic without dipping into high magic or high fantasy territory. Looking forward to your next show, Montana. P.S. I was flattered by Glenn's offer to come on the show in episode number 79. If you ever are in need of a hip young college age OSR gamer, I'm your guy. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. He is hip and funky fresh. That's right. Oh, yeah. Fresh. Um, Without dipping into high, without dipping into high fantasy, magic high fantasy. Come on, yeah, dip into high magic high fantasy. What's the problem? Come on. If you level, don't want to run a high fantasy game, well, yeah, but level five and six—that's like the sweet spot right there. Yeah, um, my I, I would suggest that you know the thing that first comes to mind for me is underground evil kingdoms, sort of like you know hobgoblins or. You know, magic stuff. You can you can keep them as dungeon levels, and the beauty of that is you can have weird, crazy stuff happening deep within the earth, but you still get up on the surface, and you're still in a low fantasy world. Uh, what about Lost Worlds? Or stick them down the sewer. Yeah, there's another one. You can have the ubiquitous Lost Valley of of dinosaurs, which you know, six seventh level. We can te- Liz and I can testify. T Rexes can cause even six seventh level characters real headaches. Yeah, yeah, they do. Find yourself a copy. It might be a little hard, but find yourself a copy of the Judges Guild Wraith Overlord. That is the sewers beneath the city state. That'll keep busy and the basements long, and long, the long time. Yeah. Again, that's more of a a city setting, but again, if you keep but- it. Underneath, you don't in, have to necessarily have much of it in, show up on the world itself. It's a dungeon, though. Yeah, some of them are really good. Some of them are, wow, <laughs> sixth or seventh level, you're dead. Yeah. Like some of those Chthonian stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, you're dead. Goodbye. And going back to you know, revisiting our topic from episode 81, uh, something that you might try just as a change is to have the party encounter something that sends them to an entirely different world. And you can run a gamma world type thing, you know, just to shake it up a little bit. Um, Send them to Carcosa. <laughs> or, or even just planar travel. Mm-hmm. You know. At fit six level? Well, they'd have to have either an artifact that did it. Oh, yeah, done to them. Yeah, yeah. They, they wouldn't do it themselves. It would happen to them. <laughs> I'm just thinking the elemental plane of fire would chew up 5th, 6th level characters pretty quick. <laughs> well, maybe something a little bit... <laughs> well, I was thinking of different lo- worlds on the prime material plane, Wait, let actually. Let me get my Gygax chart out here. Oh, you're talking about hey, alternate, hey, hey, hey. alternate prime material planes. Yeah, yeah. I or even a little at- ethereal travel. You know, there's plenty of fun monsters that can give them issues. I mean, it's no surprise I'm on my own unique frequency here, because I, I read the email and I was thinking uh, uh, much more uh, about the presentation and the judging style mm. as a way of answering the question. Um, stand when you judge, don't sit, and wave your arms around and act <clears throat> it out, because I have known I was going to playtest the system I've been playtesting recently for a long time. So at the cons, I'm watching the Frank Mincers and the Michael Curtises and the Harley Strohs GM to see what I can pick up from their gaming chops. And um, I didn't invent this, but it's like the Ming Voss theory. 
you don't just have a uh, I can't believe I said Voss face. <laughs> you don't just have a combat. There's a combat, and in the middle of the combat, there's a podium with a Ming vase in there, and something in the combat has to affect that Ming vase. That, those kinds of things will, will get players all wound up, like, you know, don't knock it over or something like that, you know, um, uh, directly from my own game. Just uh, I try and picture what's happening in my head and then describe it as theatrically as possible. So what happened is... You know, the guy's fighting a soft light hologram that he can only hit on a crit, and he actually managed to have the crit. I don't go, you critted the hologram, he's dead. I go, okay, this thing that you've been swinging your sword and it's just passing through, somehow you aimed the perfect blow dead center in his uh, uh, insubstantial body and connected with something, and here's what you see. He freezes like he's paralyzed, and all of a sudden he's in a rainbow pattern, and the whole rainbow pattern goes into a little tiny metal floating object that was in the center of his chest, which is throwing sparks and drops to the ground and smolders. You know, that's much better than just, okay, six points, you killed it. Very true. True, true. And that's good advice, regardless of what letter you write in. (laughs) So, hope one of us answered your question, Montana, and we will uh, keep you in mind, especially for old crabby stuff that we need a, a, a young person's view on. Old crappy stuff? Crabby. Crabby. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we got old crappy stuff, too. We can get ready, so. ready for the next email? Yeah. And our next email, I'm handing the reins over to DM Jim. The part of Liz will be played by DM Jim. Yeah, my voice doesn't work. In, in a dress. <laughs> if I crank my voice that high, it'll just sound like Rocket J Squirrel. <laughs> Again! This is an email just for Liz. No, I'm not <laughs> Our next email is from Dave Bloodsoe, and Dave writes, This email Whoa. is just for Liz. The rest of you can listen, but this is for Liz. Smiley face. Dave. It's mine. All mine. Wow. On the last podcast, episode 82, you talked a few minutes about an issue rather important to me for all I am, dude. For all I am, dude. And that is how you sometimes feel when you're the token female. I just want to say... Now, we need obviously, Sorry. Go ahead. It's a long email. If you want to jump in, just let me know. Uh, now, obviously, this is not the case on Save or Die, and your opinion carries equal weight among your co-hosts. If you sometimes get talked over in the rush to pontificate, you always do a great job of reining in the guys and getting your point across. But this is a problem in gaming and has been for a long time. It's always been embarrassing to hear my fellow gamers directly or indirectly imply that women were not hardcore or legitimate players. That kind of talk lets me know right away that I am not a good fit with that group and I move on. This has resulted in me leaving a lot of groups, and not just in the distant path of my youth, but in the last few months as I struggle to find a group to call home. It's not just about the obvious misogyny and this kind of thinking, but it's a clear indicator that people spouting this kind of nonsense are too immature to ever build a friendship with something integral, build a friendship with something integral to the gaming group. When I was in high school, I was just your average teenage nerd, 10% sexist and 90% terrified of girls. That was until Agnes walked into our D&D club meeting. Uh, he, he notes, yes, Agnes was really her name on Guam. My father was stationed in Guam, where it's a fairly common uh, name. It took a lot of guts for her to walk into a room full of 13- and 14-year-old boys playing D&D, but she never batted an eye. 
Her father and older brothers were D&D players from the beginning, and she knew more about the game than all of us combined. After a few days of, ooh, are you going to ride the rainbow unicorn? She DM'd her first game with us and kicked our butts around the dungeon. Within a week, she was DMing all the games, and she weaned us right off that teenage boy power gamer crap. We rolled new characters by the book and played the game it was the way it's the way it was supposed to be played, and we had the most fun I've ever had playing D and D. If someone new entered the club or the game, we were quick to shout them down when they started on all the girl gamer bullcrap. Um, <laughs> she gained our respect and our friendship not by pretending to be one of the guys, but by being a female gamer and a damn good one. Agnes was my DM, my friend, and the first girl to ever ask me on a date. I didn't really know it was a date until after it happened. It's a long and embarrassing story. Well, you know, that happens when you're 14. It happens when you're 50. Um, (laughs) Anytime I hear a male gamer spewing that tired junk about women gamers, I remember her and realize I am dealing with an idiot. So again, I say, fa, you are not now nor never will be the token female gamer. You're a D&D player, damn it. Anyone who says different should go back to their Xbox and leave the grown-ups alone. Dave Bledsoe, who's also known on the forums as Dave the Moderate. Bravo, not Dave. The, not the Dave Bledsoe. <laughs> well, thanks, Dave. Um, <clears throat> I do want to say, after after we did episode 82, and I thought back about what I had mentioned when after reading DM Mothshade's letter, and... I started to worry that it might have sounded like I was trolling for compliments from the listeners, and that's not really how I wanted it to to come across at all. Um, but I did want to let Moth know that I appreciated the fact that he had noticed that I hadn't been showing up that much in the previous episode. Um, but yeah, I, I do know where I do know where you're coming from, and. I may be a little overly sensitive about it myself because I've been in the position of, you know, people mentioning about girl gamers not being legitimate, blah, blah, blah. And even people who were, we'll say, good acquaintances of mine would say things like, you know, girls shouldn't be in gaming. And I know Mike knows exactly who I'm talking about because we oh, both, yeah. we both knew the guy, and you know he was firmly convinced that girls were bad news for any kind of gaming group because they were what? either. I'm I'm going to tell you his opinion, and anyway, it was his opinion that if a girl entered a gaming group, she was either the girlfriend of the DM and therefore would get all of the goodies, or the DM wanted to get into her pants and would therefore give her all the goodies, or or she would flirt with the other players so that they would give her all the goodies. And basically, it was his opinion that girls being introduced into a gaming group, they either, they would become the center of attention, either by design or simply because the other people in the group would be trying to get her attention, whether she was asking for the attention or not. And I'll, I'll just say, I have seen that happen. 
I have seen it happen too, but that doesn't mean that it's, I mean, I've seen male players be a detriment to a group. Yeah, so. by that same argument, guys shouldn't be in gaming groups because all they are are power, ki- power gaming homicidal maniacs <laughs> who want to kill everyone in the village and take their stuff and kill orphans. For a minute, and that's me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Did you say that's me? No, I said that's me. Oh, that's oh, <laughs> <you>? me. <laughs> Kill minute, the thought, baby goblins, yes. Thought, for a minute, I thought he was a sailor. It was one of those, you know, no, women on the ship, it's bad luck. Ah. <laughs> no, no, he was not a sailor, I fear. Yeah, I'm just He was an artist. I'm just speechless. I can't even talk about this. If somebody said yeah, that to I, me, I'd just go, you know, all right, you're living in the 19th century and I'm in the 21st, so I'll see you. Yeah, I never really understood that myself because even back in the late 70s and 80s you know and i i would have loved a woman a, a young woman come to ask if she could play in our games i would have thought that was awesome but then to hear so many i i've heard many female gamers talk about them trying to join groups particularly when they were in high school and they were literally driven out their characters were killed or humiliated and Basically, it was obvious they were just trying to get her out of the game club. And that just flabbergasts me. I, I don't understand that. Well, in things like this, instead of getting exasperated and mad about it, I just remember what can I control and what can't I control. I can't control, you know, misogynistic bastards. But I can make sure that every game I sit down at, I, make sh- I do everything in my power to make everybody welcome at the table. Exactly. Especially if you're the DM. Except for those psychotic power gamers. <laughs> you run those out of town on a rail. But that has nothing to do with gender, that's for sure. <laughs> it has to do with mental state. <laughs> yep. So, so we, we thank, get, thank you, Dave. And thanks, Dave. I, I am also informed by Mike that people on the Save or Die forums have also been mentioning that that they like me on the show, and I do appreciate that. I appreciate all of you. <laughs> See, I told you the show does get better when I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we certainly talk about weird things. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not there. Anyway, um, th- thank you. Uh, do we have any more emails? Yes, one more email. One more email, and I will go back to reading. I, As, as you might imagine, I didn't want to read the email talking about how great I was because that sounds kind of <laughs> – selfish <laughs> her head anyway. is deflated enough now she can read the email that's right <laughs> and our final email for the show is from bryant hudson bryant says greetings sodcasters i may have missed it in the past but i would like to hear some discussion of the gazetteer products specifically some of the character creation options it provides like the Dwarves of Rockhome gives the option to play a dwarf cleric. That is one of my favorite character options, but normally isn't available in Basic Expert. Curious if any of you have ever used that option from Gazetteer Number 6. I always look forward to the show. Thanks, Bryant. Well, I don't believe we have actually covered any Gazetteers, but we I, know that we, I know we have them, you know in the pipeline, so to speak. Yes. We just haven't done them yet. I have a whole box of them over there I haven't even looked at. We have, we have, we have had several requests for covering the Gazetteers, and they are coming. <laughs> really? Trust I'll us. T- 
But I tell you, the dwarf cleric does sound intriguing. What's a gazetteer? It's it's what you use in the bathroom. No, it's uh, you don't know what the gazetteers are, or are you being facetious? No, I, I uh, came. I, I mean, I left basic D anD D in nineteen eighty one, and have just started playing it again this past year. So, gazetteer gazetteers are supplements that elaborate on Mistara. By and Bruce Hurd had a lot. He was the like the the publisher, not publisher, but I mean, he was the guy, the honcho, and they're very well done. Yeah. There's about thirty. <laughs> Thirteen of them. Thirteen of them. There's twelve, I believe, twelve in a box set. Uh, and at the risk of maybe having some people calling for my head after I say this, you could look upon them as the basic expert version of the two East Splat books. Yes. Thank oh. you. Okay. Cross pollination. Except that that well, no, I guess the complete books also went into a lot of detail about uh, Forgotten Realms, didn't they? But this this is mostly like this is the the like this you know remember the area supplements for like two E Forgotten Realms like Waterdeep in the North and all that stuff. This is what does this for Mistara. Well, yeah, since I'm not I, going to express a dislike of something in advance of actually reading it. I look forward to reading these when we do them on the show. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're 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 interesting. They. They have their, I mean, in a lot of ways, they're like ghoul keep in the ghoul lands, yeah. except for Mistara. And they, I'm given to understand that each one of them seems to provide a good amount of rules. And the only one I've ever really looked at to any detail is Orcs of Thar. Right. And that's because it provides rules for um, PCing uh, various humanoid monsters. Yeah. In Tim um, Cask's OD&D campaign, it went like this. Uh, a buddy of mine wanted to play a gnome illusionist, and Tim's like, sure. Go for it. And I, then I think somebody came up with some strategic review article, and we went with it. Okay. Okay. But these these were done during the Menser slash Rule Cyclopedia era of basic D&D. Yeah, basically where they took what was called the known world out of the expert rule book, which was originally just kind of a very bare-bones Here's how you form a wilderness campaign world, mm-hmm. and actually fleshed it out into a series, into a big elaborate campaign setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. And they have like they got some alternate rules and new classes in there and things like that that people like to use. Yeah, too. So to make a short story very long, Bryant. One day <laughs> we did. will be <laughs> covering gazetteers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> soon, soon. <laughs> I will hazard to say within the next five episodes. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah, now we're committed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for writing in, everyone. And you can write us in at saverdivepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, sir. And. Now, let's get to talking about the Ghoul Lands. Okay. Unlike prior reviews, we're going to try something new. A different way of considering things, and we're calling it the Top Five. The Save or Die Top Five. In five, four, three, two. Welcome to a new subsection of Saber Die. We're trying something a little different with our reviews. The top five. Five. Each one of us five. 
each one of us will be giving our top five things that stood out about this product to them. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be good things, just things that stood out to you. And we're going to start with number five and DM Jim. Is it okay if all mine are good things? No, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Just... It just doesn't have to be, is all I'm saying. Um, as you might expect, I have to go with the art in this thing, uh, particularly in comparison to the Chronicles of Amherst. This has got some uh, a really nice, really nice cover and really great art uh, throughout by Luigi Castellani, who uh, must be a fan of Arrow Otis, because there's a real Arrow Otis quality to the way he's rendering those claws and feet and monsters and ghouls. I really like the art. He does a lot of small niche game stuff, doesn't he? I mean, if the, the if, art, I mean, if the art's good, but um, less than professional, shall we say? I'll say, okay, that was good art, but this is really good art. Okay, so the art stands out to you. Yay, Luigi! Whoever you are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got the Errol Otis vibe myself. Looking yeah. at it, it's like yay, barely yay. <laughs> Glenn. Well, I just like the whole feeling of it and how it just kind of like clicks into the into Amherst. I remember reading like a blurb about it in Amherst and then he just took it and ran with it. And it just I like the vibe of the I I also the, the premise is like it's an undead land but it's not an undead land. It's not your normal undead land. Let me put it that way. True. And I kind of like that. Okay. Liz, your number <clears throat> 5? My number 5 would be um, there's a town listed um, called Agden, uh-huh. and um, this is in the um, Caramore province. And um, one of the things that struck me about the town itself was I'm reading it, and the first thing that popped into my head from the description was Sanctuary from Thieves' World. And I don't know if um, Pete, you know, was using that as, you know, his basis when he was, you know, making it up. But I homage. Yes. But, you know, I'm reading about Agden. It's like it's a an old city used to be pretty big, but now it's become run down and has, you know, thieves and a lot of vices. There's all kinds of... That's town. Yeah, but, you know, the old city, you know, is mostly deserted, and you've got underground stuff, and I'm just remembering reading the Thieves' World novels back when I was much younger. (laughs) The 1980s, yes. Okay, yes. And (laughs) so... You were reading Thieves' World in kindergarten? My goodness. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) I tell you, the Thieves' World coloring books were awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Town of Agden, Sanctuary in Thieves' World. Love it. <laughs> cool. And, yeah, I can see that You know, when I came across one of the five. It's got five different provinces, but that was the main one that stood out to me there. Should we do this like, like professionals and, like, the last one of the three of us that goes throws it back? And what did you think, Mike? <laughs> What's your number five? My number five. Uh, surprise, surprise. It's a mild criticism that stood out to me. Oh, do it. And I know that's very surprising for me. Um, and it dealt with the ghouls, the oh. 
half human, half ghoul breeds. The Gahul? Yeah, the Gahul. Did you not like it? I'm okay with the concept, but I just thought they were a little too pretty. Ah. They looked, you know, they're basically, other than pale, uh, they were goths, basically. (laughs) Normal people, but they still have the ghoul bite. So I'm like, so do they have like huge fangs or pointed? I, I would probably have them have like shark's teeth or something, you know, to really just kind of bring across that inhumanity. But <laughs> yeah. I, I just wish, you know, that they were a little more monstrous looking. I it's, thought that you didn't like it because they were t- the name was too close to Sahugan. <laughs> oh, I'd love that, but there are aquatic ghouls in this, by the way, which was kind of interesting. Is, are there Sahugan Gahoos? Well, they're ghouls, I suppose. If you really wanted them to be Sahugan, it would be. <laughs> Sorry. So that's mine. And it's not a huge complaint, it's just more of a flavor thing. Obviously, as a DM, I could make them as inhumane as I wanted them to be, and it would, you know, wouldn't change really the data in there at all. It just stood out to me that I thought that they were awfully, it was just a little too convenient, I thought, but that's just me. <laughs> Baron okay. Bitey looks perfectly normal until he grins at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the NPC gahools, yep, female ones, all, all had at least a 13 char- charisma. That's true. Or higher. I guess it could be like a Morticia Adams kind of thing. I guess. I mean, and again, you know, charisma is, as I've said before, charisma isn't necessarily physical physical appearance. It's a combination of, you know, personal magnetism and stuff. But it's like, wow, that's... Anyway, so that stood out to me. Cool. Number four. Four, four, four. Jim. <laughs> um... Uh, this is something that I've got as a as a plus, but I bet it's going to be one of your minuses because it's two sides of the same thing. The completeness of the setting. I mean, there's uh, it. It's not it's not like uh, Chronicles of Amherst where it's sort of an overview at a higher altitude. There's just I mean, anything you want to know about this kingdom down to the molecular level is in this book. So if that's your cup of tea, this is great. You and me might uh, overlap a bit later. Well, it's highly unlikely that we have 20 different things, so I'm sure there's going to be some overlap here and there. That's normal. Um, Yeah, I can see your point there. I mean, I suppose it's always better from a DM's perspective. I guess if you have a lot of data, it's easier to just ignore things rather than try to come up with stuff on the fly. Well, when we were discuss- I like coming up with stuff on the fly. We discussed this off air. I'm going to be uh, careful to parse my uh, review between my personal taste and what other people might like, because a lot of this is not my personal cup of tea. But that doesn't mean—I mean—the completeness of the setting. Some people live for that kind of crunch. Yep. Right. Well, like my—you know—my gahuls. I mean, I'm sure there are people that think that's just awesome, but you know, not my bag, baby. So, okay. anyone want to comment on Jim's? Nah, he's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one of those your mileage may vary. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. You, know, you either like, you know, a lot of detail or 
you would rather have something just very sketchily, you know, put together so you can put your own stuff in. Well, what speaks well of Peter Spahn is, I mean, I would jump in his campaign and play in his campaign any time because you can tell this guy stays up all hours flushing this stuff out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great stuff. He's, 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 the, uh, he's the retro clone Ed Greenwood almost. Well, you know, when he said in that email that, you know, he's been running campaigns in this thing for like 20 years, and I know in my campaign world, there's so much of that, so it's like every special thing you read about in there, you're thinking, you know, okay, is this something he just made up, or is this a result of what some PCs did, you know? Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, that's what kept coming to my mind. It's like, you know, so this just... I could see some PCs, you know, screwing this up, you know, in a in a major, oops, my character died, but now all the ghouls are trapped. Oh, well, I guess that's okay. <laughs> I'll just write that in. <laughs> yeah. If he's been playing this world for 20 years, yet he says it's kind of an elaboration on the sample world in Labyrinth Lord. That no, no, that was just the, del- the duchy of... What Valwin or oh Vin, Vin, oh oh he just added that to his right world, that was a sample oh, okay. from the Labyrinth Lord rules he just kind of okay. imported it to this world he just oh, took, okay he just took two twenty foot extension cords and plugged them together oh okay okay yeah he just plopped it down in one territory that he already had as another kingdom but they were so similar so he just you know plopped it down so there'd be some continuity from someone running Labyrinth Lord okay anyway. Your number four, Glenn? My number four, um, I kind of wanted to elaborate on Liz's number five. Um, and I think I will because I'm going to save my, the other one for <laughs> number three. Oh, oh, well, I'm trying try to space it out like you are. So, <laughs> <laughs> Number four, what was the name of that town again, Liz? Agden. Agden. I read Agden and I liked it too, but the third, first thing I thought of was Skullport. Huh? Interesting. In the, in, in the Undermountain, you know, this huge den of villainy and thievery right under the city with all it needs are floating skulls in it. And, and, the, and the river teleport. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that stuff is like straight out of Skullport. I go, I go nuts with that stuff. I loved it. Okay. Any comments? Um, no, because my number four is also about Agden. <laughs> You're really liking that place, aren't you? Well, I am liking it. Let's go to that then. It has a rumor table. Yay! Oh, I, I, I always get teary eyed at rumor tables, but I get an applause effect for you for stuff like that. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my number four is. Agden has a rumor table, you know, when they flesh out the city a little more further on, um, talking about the Agden Commoners Hall, and you can work, you know, rumors from the table into the conversation that you're overhearing or getting into in, within the hall. So, rumor table, thumbs up. Very old school. Cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you school. roll on that rumor table? It looks like it is a... D twelve. Oh, love the D twelve. Okay, let's do it. You got it in front of you. I do have it in front of me. Let's do one. Okay. You ready? Roll it. Uh, seven. If a major fight breaks out after dark, 
the hall guard open the gates and let the reborn in to sort things out. Ooh. palooza. <laughs> <laughs> the ghoul brute squad. <laughs> so, so, so don't start any fights. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Behave yeah. yourselves. Be like you, Billy. You won't be over that gate there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure the ghouls would leave everyone else alone. And oh, yeah. Well. Instead of maintaining a spoiler-free zone, I will not reveal whether or not that rumor is true or false. <laughs> so there. You'll just yeah. have to get the supplement yourself to find out. Or ask your DM. Or, while you're playing in it, start a fight. <laughs> That's one way to find out. Exactly. What about you, Mike? What's your number four? My number four, and this is something Liz and I sort of disagreed on. <laughs> I see where this is going to go with you tonight. Um... <laughs> Well, no, it's good. It's good. Liz didn't like it, though. Oh, really? Okay. And that is how the economy works oh, in barter? the lands. Oh, yeah. It's Virtually great. everything is barter. Well, I thought that was a kind of a pain, too. But... And I also like how important social standing is in the region. You can't even adventure without having the uh, a sponsor. support of a patron, noble, and... You are expected to give lots of gifts and to dress really well if you're an adventurer. That's a great money sink for PCs that doesn't go the, in my opinion, the kind of silly way of training costs, et cetera, et cetera. I know some people like training costs, and that's fine. Personally, I just don't – I never bought the, you know, going to fighter school and – Right. Oh man! If I just had three more credits, mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure I understand level. you. Um, you're talking. You like the barter system? Yes, I do. Okay, okay. I like it. Uh, it is very hard for a DM. Well, I will say that. But I, I do need to to recant a little bit. When Mike and I were were discussing it earlier, um, I had not made it all the way through the supplement yet. And I had not realized that he does actually have a table to roll reactions to haggling. And I was initially thinking, you know, you're going to have to role play every single instance of, you know, trying to haggle for anything. You know, this could, you know, make your game, you know, just go dead in the water. (laughs) That is true. Some players would stretch that out. Three hours shopping for clothes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. So... You know, I, I I do want to recant a little bit because there is a table you can roll, and that would speed things up. So I, I'm not as opposed to it now as I was when Mike and I were talking about it earlier. Okay. You know, you know, you two are like the gold standard of role playing couples. I mean, oh stop! A married couple who sits up at night and discusses role playing games. I would sell my soul for that. <laughs> And you, and you know, I, I, I don't know if I should say this or not, so I won't. So, okay. I, I thought, well, I thought Mike being blind. <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. I, no, I'm going to say it anyway. I thought Mike <laughs> being blind at the head of the table with the DM screen, he's almost like an oracle. Do I know? Do I live? I don't know. Give us back in the eye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oracle, please let me live this encounter. <laughs> well, no, because if you kill an oracle, they can curse with their dying breath and. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Okay, that's my four. Three. Wow, this is going quick. (laughs) It's absolutely three. 
Well, you know, again, typical of me, I focused in on the magic items, and they were really cool, although they were really gross. I especially liked uh, some of those potions that are in this setting. I mean, one of them... Wow, yeah. The Dead Man's Draught makes that stuff they did in The Walking Dead where they smeared the zombie guts all over themselves so they could walk amongst the walkers. That makes that (laughs) sound like a picnic, you know, a thick brew of pulped zombie flesh. And other loathsome ingredients makes the drinker appear to be undead to other undead creatures. Holy crap. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got a potion as one as my number two, because those really impressed me as well. Well, I, I won't do any of the other potions. I'll save them for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm only talking about one, so it's okay. Oh, it's not the one for vampires, is it, Liz? It is. Okay, oh, yeah. well, I won't bring that up then, because... I don't want to mess up your number two. But drinking pulped zombie flesh just yeah. to go out at night. Oh, greasy, <laughs> grimy goat with guts. And, yeah. and this is coming yeah, for me. A lot of those magic items really made me think of Carcosa, actually. If you knew everything I've really had to drink in my life. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, again, he provides magic items which, rather obviously, are centered on living in a undead region, you know, where undead are prolific. It would make sense. That would be where most of the magic, and most magic in this campaign uh, setting is set, you know, is held by the church for the most part. Right. And they just let you make little potions, and that's about it. Okay. Glenn? I'm frantically trying to remember what Jim's number four was. (laughs) A completeness of setting. A completeness. Of, well, yeah, that helps. Uh, but Are you stealing our, our our number top fives? No, I just you guys talk about something, and I go, "Oh yeah, I got a spin on that." Oh, okay. Um, which I don't now because that was like a very very broad broad topic. So I'll go with this. I don't like the barter system. You Mainly don't like it. I don't like the barter system. Ah. I, I, can, I can find other ways besides training and stuff to siphon their gold off, aside from having to carry around two hogs and a chicken for a sword. Well, no, that doesn't siphon the gold off. It was the, the elaborate dress and, and gifts that siphon the gold off. This was just a fun right. difference than, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, but it was different. It was different for about 10 minutes. And then it's like I got deeper into it. I'm going, okay, fine. They have to do this to get their equipment. And And it's like, why don't we just do a gold piece standard here and barter if you want. It is harder. Haggling is is always fun, but. A year ago, I would have agreed with you, but a certain um, dungeon crawl taco game is low money, no jewel, hardly any gold. And it's a lot of it turns into barter. So I've kind of gotten used to it. It's really not that bad a deal. Oh, okay. It it tends to I think adventurers when they go down in dungeons and stuff, they tend to look for more like jewelry and stuff then if they have to trade it. I mean we've still got that guy in our group that has to take forty five fracking minutes to get himself equipped to leave town. You know, but, but he would he would do that with gold too. I was gonna oh. ask, do you role play your barter sessions in that game or is it more of, you know, roll of charismas against each other, you know, top guy wins? I uh I write down a list and what I've got to trade and just hand it to the GM and he hands it back to me and tells me what I got and I'm done. And like, okay. it's like, it's like I got men shopping for shoes, you know, five minutes in and out and I'm done. But other people's <laughs> table have different ways of doing it. 
and and RGM just rolls with whatever you want to do. Couldn't we just do like single combat with the uh, with the shopkeeper or something? <laughs> just, oh yeah, that's fair. Just <laughs> I'm idea. fifth level fighter, and you're a zero no. level shopkeeper. No, no, no. <laughs> you just you know you, you both strip down to your underwear and start doing fisticuffs. Yeah. Yes, we'll just have to rochambeau for it. <laughs> well, well, like in our game, we all play. We're in and out of the shop with what we need in five seconds, and Doc Mindwipe has got to turn it into, you know, you know, percentile rolls. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I want that fancy sword. Here, I'll arm wrestle you for it. <laughs> okay. Liz? Yes. Me? You. Well, Unless I guess there's more comment on Glenn's. No, no, no. Ah. Um, I guess my number three, um, kind of going back to what you were mentioning earlier with the gahouls, but I noticed this with um, the female NPCs throughout the throughout the book was there almost all of them are pretty good looking. I don't recall seeing a female NPC with a charisma lower than 13. It's like, wow, these are some good-looking gals in the ghoul lands. (laughs) How else are they going to make little little (laughs) gahouls? Got to get the humans. (laughs) So not necessarily a bad thing, but just something that kind of presented itself to me. It's like, there are no ugly girls here. Unless it's like a crone or something, but the, fr- you know. the, the first rule of Fight Club: no <laughs> fat chicks. <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah, and t- I'm torn on that. I mean, yeah, it is kind of unrealistic. On the other hand, it's certainly faithful to the genre. And I will say, I only can recall one instance of an NPC male that was ugly. And, was that one of the ghouls? Uh, no, it was some. It was a magic user in one of the adventuring parties that they were, you know, giving the stats for, and I cannot remember the name of the group, but um, that was pretty cool too, by the way. Yeah. Um. So there was a male magic user in that group who had a charisma of six, if I remember correctly, and it was mentioned in his brief description that. He was a rather ugly fellow, but that's yeah. the only one I can think of right offhand. Who? Yeah, one of the barons, a big bully, I think, had like a charisma of nine. Uh-huh. But yeah, like I said, I'm torn on it. I can see. I don't know if that's subconscious or just that's how the roles came out, but I can see the genre faithfulness of it, though. Yeah, especially if a lot of these NPCs are based on old characters that, you know, Pete's players That's true. You know, had. I didn't think and, of that, but yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can excuse it for the setting as long as there's nothing in there that's misogynistic. I mean, when you meet the Bride of Dracula, you don't expect them to be too low charisma. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, none of them are described going around in, in a chainmail thong or anything. So, <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, yeah. So what about you, Mike? What's your number three? My number three, and this gets back to some of our earlier discussions, like the technology hidden in s- throughout the kingdom. Like uh, one, there's like a couple of iron towers next to each other. That's right. In that during storms it. acts like a Tesla coil. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Don't they have one of those, what are those Makima things from Amherst in some, there somewhere? Oh, the, yeah, the Wehrmachen. 
yeah, there's a Wehrmacht. There's a Wehrmacht, and I think it's like a casino. <laughs> on the river. Yeah, the, the powered ship, yeah. Yeah, that, that's uh, a war machine. Yeah, that has its own power and supposedly yeah, runs a wheel. Get the idea, it's like cold fusion or something. I mean, but I like add, the, it's a paddle wheeler. You can't really reanimate dead cadavers without a cosmic mm-hmm. ray diffuser. you got to have it, along with the kites. Exactly. But uh, I also liked how the towers, you can... they. The Baron's men, whose territory it's in, can only get on the lowest level because the doors going to the upper levels of the towers are sealed with ancient magics and no one has been able to open them. That's right. There's a little Barrier Peaks action waiting to happen. (laughs) Afraid I can't do that, Dave. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So that's my three. Number two. Jim. I really like the uh, setting in that, well, like I I did a comic book cover recently where I'm trying to do, I was specifically requested to do the characters in my own style, but they were, characters were in the style of another artist, and then I did a homage to David Trampier, so I'm like trying to channel three styles into one piece of art. The setting is kind of like that. I mean, it has to be medieval fantasy uh, for D&D, but there are all these things Peter wove in where it's part Hammer horror films. Uh, there's a lot of the, especially that keep that's mm-hmm. at the pass where nobody can get past. I, I was getting a, a really strong Vlad, Vald, I can't, uh, dyslexia. Vlad. Me. Yeah, that guy. Vlad. Vlad the Impaler, you know, vibe from that kind of stuff. There was a lot hey, of. Hey, Jim. Yes. No, didn't you, did you, did you or did you not also kind of a Ravenloft vibe off of some of this stuff? Because I never played Ravenloft, no, but if I had, I would, because it was very... I got it now. Okay. Glad well, if you're talking the, the very first Ravenloft module, that was very Christopher yeah. Lee, Hammer Horror, Dracula. Yes, yes. So a lot of disparate horror f- influences all brought together really nicely. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> so that's my number two. Okay. okay. Pip, pip. Glenn? Okay, let's see. Flip a coin. All right, I'll... I'll do that one. Um, I like the ruler. I mean, I know that doesn't get much play in the game because there's a lot of stuff. You probably never see the king or who, what, what's the guy's name? I can't remember his name. But he's not your usual undead. First of all, he's a gahoo. And uh, secondly, all he wants to do is bring the old kingdom back. And that, He wants to uh, make the world a better place. For him. Yeah. For him. For, hi- for him, I guess, yeah. But, I mean, uh, uh, you know, he wanted to bring the old kingdom back in its glory. And it's mm. like, okay, this is not just like an evil guy with a demon, you know, a deal with the devil or something like that. He has an actual, he has an actual purpose. He has an actual drive. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. For a big bad, he's got a good backstory. I mean, he's half. Yes, Vecna. he does. He's half Vecna, half Dracula. <laughs> Vecna, exactly. Liz and I were talking about that, and it's like he's a head and an arm, which they stick on a fresh body every few years. Oh, and that and that, that setting event. That's why he has adventures around. So maybe they'll find the rest of his body. Yeah, yeah. Which are listed under the artifact tables as various body parts. And that's right. Yeah, when I heard that's it was right. just a head and an arm getting stuck, all I could think of was head of Vecna. <laughs> yeah. Hush, that's my number one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't talk about it now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. 
Although some of the stuff he does is pretty darn brutal. It is. It is. And there are a few very good people in this realm. And he's got a lot of enemies, too. Who are generally just as bad as he is nine times but, out of ten. Yeah, they don't really care about bringing an old kingdom back. They just want him his power. Can, can I yep. dub, can I double dip on my number two? Hmm. R- real quick. I mean, uh, besides the other influences, there was a sort of second age in Tolkien where it's Sauron assembling his power. The first go of Sauron. Oh, yeah. Was kind of Sauron in this, that, that, that same kind of vibe. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt about. Y'all were saying the ghoul keep had kind of a hammer horror feel. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it felt a little more like Mordor. Oh, this is like a whole you know, campaign of Mordor. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, definitely some inspirations floating around. Oh yeah, Liz. Uh, my number two. Yes, yep. ma'am. Okay. Well, getting back to the potions we were discussing earlier, my my number two as far as things that stood out, I really liked the idea behind the potion of blood poison. And if if you're able to successfully drink this, um, you have to take a saving throw versus death magic when you drink right. it. Right. But if you succeed, then any vampire that tries to drink from you gets poisoned. And they have to make a saving throw versus poison, or they immediately die upon having tried to feed from you. Totally destroyed, right? Well, it just says die immediately. Um, It says, if the saving throw is made, the vampire must assume gaseous form and return to its crypt within six turns, or he dies anyway. Wow. Um, So, it's an awfully, you know, good, you know, thing to have in a land of undead creatures, but like the, you know, the, the zombie, you know, the pulped zombie flesh one that Jim was talking about earlier, you know, you're... It's kind of nasty, and it might hurt you pretty bad. <laughs> so, so you're saying, like, say you're going down into where you know there's undead vampires and stuff. You you take that, make your saving throw, then go adventuring, and if a vampire bites you, he has to make the save. Right. right? Uh, Assuming you survive taking the potion. So yeah. Hopefully mm-hmm. your guys DM and your home campaign is listening to this and sticks some of those potions in the adventure, because you guys could <laughs> use that, right? Yeah, I mean it's not going to kill you, but you know if you fail your save, it makes you stronger. Well, not quite. You get a you you lose a point of constitution, so it really doesn't make you stronger. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you go into a coma for a you know random number of days, and you permanently lose a constitution point. You mm-hmm. know if you fail your save. So yeah, you, no keeping an IV of this stuff attached to you when you go into the vampire t- pyramid. Right, you have to really, really think that this is something necessary to want to risk it, or have a you know kick-ass constitution so your saving throws are good. But yeah. you know, even so, I don't know about Labyrinth Lord, but D and D vampires suck. So I'd take it. Yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you saw what I did there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well. Except your party would just give it to the gnome and push him at the vampire. Here, suck this guy. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> and if he goes unconscious, the vampire will fang him and that'll distract him. Yeah. What's your number two, Mike? My number two is the MPC parties. I've said before, yeah, I always like that concept. And especially in this campaign where. 
the idea of adventurers are actually a social class that a lot of people, particularly the serfs, can aspire to. Um, it makes sense that if your party happens to be there, you're not the only PC, or, you know, people going around adventuring and trying to cause trouble. Well, that's the whole concept of the, the, the sponsored PC, uh, adventuring parties. Well, that's what I mean. Uh-huh. Uh, and they do that partially because of the standing that doing that will provide. Yeah. And, of course, if you have a noble in charge of your party, you can actually go into different provinces rather than just staying in the one whose noble has, has sponsored you. And they give several, some made up of nobles, some made up of peasants. And it, it's got a nice, uh, nice spread of uh, various PC types and personalities in there. Yeah. Which I think is pretty cool. Those are always the best encounters, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, when the magic user doesn't immediately drop a web on them and... <laughs> well, yeah. Unlike certain parties that we could name where yes. the magic user does that. Hey, they had a gnome. <laughs> they had a they gnome. Deserve- they had it coming to them. They had it coming to them. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, that's my number two. I love those NPC parties. Well, and was- they're a great source of pre-gens if you need to just throw a party together for a quick game. That's true. Oh, yeah. I will say that in all of... Um, Pete Spawn's, you know, supplements and adventures that we have gone over over the course of the show. He's always had some very strong NPCs that you can grab from and mm-hmm. just drop in anywhere. You know, even if you don't want to, you know, even if you would like to use them outside of the adventure that you found them in. Minus yeah. the, the the juvenile porn quality, there's a Judges Guild vibe. I don't know if Pete's old enough that he was in the Judges Guild module, but there's that kind of depth to his background stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We are at number one. One, one, one. One, one. Oh, one. We got to one, I won't, one. I won't ask you to put the big voice in, Jim. Just <laughs> one. How, how did I get in the front of the marching order anyway? I'm usually in the back um, because like we were so, we were smart enough to move back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number one is just the quest potential for higher level play, um, and I need to talk this through just a little bit because overall this is not my personal cup of tea for a campaign setting or a sandbox. A campaign setting in the traditional sense, like we're going to spend the rest of this campaign just playing in this system, but it's. The style we used to play back in the day, it's ideal for, okay, this is the next country over, and that guy's got to go. Boys, go get him. I mean, there's the, I mean, because that, that's a kingdom that needs to be toppled. That's a ruler that needs to be taken down. And there's this huge, whole, complex, you know, gorgeous maps and, and endless quest hooks and plot hooks. Yeah, lots of conspiracies going on. And although he does warn that, you know, like Amherst, this is a low-magic campaign setting – so, you know, even the more powerful stuff, like the Blue Dragon NPC, I think only had like 40 hit points, 45, but it's like nine hit die. Well, oh, yeah. I guess more um, what I mean is if uh, if the idea were, okay, let's all generate characters who are native to this country and, and start our campaign here. Personally, I wouldn't be interested in it because it's very dark and, and it's just like being from an evil place. And that some people like that. I, I, I like my uh, you know RPG fantasy a little more heroic. But as a you know quest potential, it's just great. Yeah. 
Well, I could see like being, you know, making up characters from there, but are determined to try to change things. You know, right. kind of that rebel alliance sort of thing. <clears throat> well, to, to give a comparison, it's like post-apocalyptic settings. Some people like their post-apocalyptic settings real road warrior and everything is shit. I don't like that. I like it more Jack Vance where it's it all happened a long, long time ago and it's mysterious now. Go grab a ray gun and start shooting mutants. Right. Exactly. Well, I hate to bring in my, my zombie apocalypse fanboyness. No, you don't. But, but yes. <laughs> I hate reading zombie novels where everything is utterly horrible and everybody dies at the end and life is useless and blah, 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 because then the point is, well, then why bother? <laughs> why did I read this why, book? You know, why are they even exactly. struggling? Just this shoot themselves in like chapter zombies. one and move on. This is so, why I don't like Romero zombie stuff. So there's got to be some hope. Otherwise, yeah, it, it, it's, there's no point in doing the struggle. Well, as far as not wanting to make this into a, say, a regular ongoing campaign, um, personally, if I was going to use this, I would probably treat it very similarly to Ravenloft and have this be a land that adventurers find themselves mysteriously dropped into somehow. And there's only certain ways and certain times that you could find yourself in it and there are only certain ways that you could make your way out of it again. So have that, have the, maybe have that shield around it that keeps the undead in. Actually, Which they have everybody. already. Yeah, it keeps yeah. people out. Well, that was yeah. the, that was one of the plot hooks in, in, in this is that that shield has started to intermittently fail and some undead are getting out and spilling it mm-hmm. into the kingdom. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. But, and yeah. I'd, ha- I'd have the shield you know, go both ways. Non-undead people could not pass into the kingdom unless something weird happens. Like and, they have an artifact or something. Yeah, and so that way, you know, you can have it, you know, every once in a while, it's part of your adventures, but it's not the end-all, be-all, unless your party decides, you know, we want to go back there and we want to fix it, you know, right. and... You know, they decide they want to make you know the the next big story arc that you're running them through, all about going in there and trying to make a difference. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise I'd just have it like Ravenloft. You know, you mysteriously find your way there, and you have to undergo a quest in order to do something in order to get out again. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. All right, Glenn. My number one. Okay, let me let me first state that. I was this is I was kind of surprised by seeing that the kingdom that this guy wants to bring back was actually in another supplement, um, which was Lesserton and more by Very Fafflin Games. My first thought was, "Oh, great! Now I got to go get this." But I could see that I was just very surprised. That's all. And okay, my number, my actual number one, it gets back to Jim's point about. Uh, Amherst and this working into Amherst because Amherst, like he said, was an overview, you know, of the whole kingdom. And Ghoulands is just a part of it, and they went into more detail, which I understand why you don't like that, Mike. But I kind of like it because it goes back to the Menser D&D. In the RC, they gave you Mistara a general overview of everything, and now they have the gazetteers, which are specific. Mm -hmm. So 
if I was doing it, I'd take the gazetteers, but if you were doing it, I'd hand you the RC. I said, here, there's just no review. Make of it what you will. Hmm. So it's the same thing, and I kind of like that. That's I kind of I kind of agree with you. I mean, because this was written for Labyrinth mm-hmm. Lord, but if you were playing Mints or D anD D, you could play this easy. Yeah, there's no conversion. or Moldy Cook, which is what yeah, Labyrinth Lord was based on. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with having something this specific. Okay, that's all. So you just like its specificity? Yeah, its specificity. Okay, Liz. Um, my number one is the King Lorgan Makar, and yeah, the different body parts, you know, various, various, <laughs> you know, Vecnas. <laughs> um, getting into the, you know, the whole head of Vecna joke, which, you know, you do kind of immediately think of with, you know, he, you cut the head off the guy and you put Makar's head onto him. <laughs> Only. Instead of, you know, you getting powers of the head, the head gets you. And yeah. But you get a year, you know? Yeah, it's a nice little twist. <laughs> I, I, I need to retract some of my there's no Judges Guild juvenile porn thing because there's some unsavoriness to why he needs all those fresh human bodies for his head. <laughs> yeah, that involves the gahouls. Yeah. That's how you get gahouls. Gahouls yep. just want to have fun. Um, exactly. <laughs> And the various body parts could be six, could be eight. I like the fact that you don't know how many parts there are. Got to collect them all. And it also does not go into specific detail as to, you know, what the different parts do. You know, it may, the part may not give anyone any kind of abilities if they tried to say someone found another arm. And they tried mm-hmm. to cut off their arm and stick it on just to see what would happen. You know, it might not do anything for them at all. But as the, you know, the DM, you can decide, you know, would these give powers to someone else who tried to utilize them? Making the assumption that the head is the one that, you know, has whatever undead soul or life force, you know, still in it. Right. Um, and you also got a, oh gosh, um, the Egyptian mythos where, mm-hmm. was it Osiris? Who yeah, had right, his, right, right, yes. Yeah. Um, had his junk. Yeah. <laughs> had his, <laughs> his manhood removed and, you know, Isis, you know, basically his body was torn limb from limb. And it was that part that Isis could never find again when she uh, got, magic put him back together. You've gotten me looking at the six or is it eight parts a different way now? Thanks. Right. You know, it's like, what are those? If it is eight, what are those two extra? What are the eights? Yeah. <laughs> but, see, wants, see, <laughs> his big toes. <laughs> see, he wants the, he wants the parts because the like his other hand was the right hand of doom, like in Hellboy. <laughs> Well, with the yeah, arm, I would... Egyptian mythos there. Yeah. The arm, the first thing that occurred to me with one of the arms would be to have it work like a hand of glory. Oh, there you go. Oh, I, I think nice. that, was, that, that was what first jumped into my head. But you're right. I mean, the DM can just tweak them and do all sorts of weird and yeah. disturbing things. Or decide that they do nothing. Hey, yeah. Hey, congratulations. Mm-hmm. You've just cut your arm off for no reason. Yay. You know how a zombie arm. <laughs> That's so, right. So, what's your number one, Mike? Here it comes. I'm num- I assume everyone's finished commenting on Liz's? Yes. Okay. 
My number one is the Celtic ancient feel to the culture. Most everybody there, if they have metal armor, it's bronze. Uh-huh. The right. weapons can be bronze or copper, and steel is a very rare thing. I like that. Um, it's the different from your average campaign world, you know, Western Western European medieval ripoff. Um, I tend to prefer my campaigns overall that way, but I think uh, having small isolated areas that are different is pretty cool. I also, on that vein, I like how he's imported some ancient customs, like the uh, holiday where the peasants get the day off and the nobles and priests are supposed to do work in the fields and stuff. That's like the Roman holiday of Saturnalia, which I thought was kind of cool to import there. And also the whole king's meat puppet body being treated <laughs> like great for a year before his head and arm are cut off. That's very Aztec. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, that, that whole vibe to the, to the culture is pretty cool. Oh yeah. You could, you could probably tell me this, Mike, um, in the book, you know, they say that usually the nobles will just pay the peasants Extra to dress or hire up, a substitute. In, yeah, yeah. To dress up in their clothes and do that. Did the Romans actually do that? You know, in I, the Saturnalia feasts, or did they? You know, did they really do it? <laughs> I don't know. I think it depended. You know, it's it's kind of like Halloween. Uh huh. It's you know the the level of uh, of association for it was dependent on the household, but being basically a Roman thing, most of the Roman public, you know, lived in a major city, so there was less, you know, not obviously there were citizen farmers, but there wasn't quite the farming emphasis as there is in a medieval setting. Right. So mostly it was just, you know, doing dishes, uh, you know, serving food, that's sort of the barn, yeah. But again, yeah, I'm sure there were plenty of people who said, screw that, you know, you slaves get back to work, so. Mm hmm. But it it gave a different feel to it, which I thought was kind of neat. That's good. And there's our top five, folks. Dun, dun, dun. I Let like us know format. how you like the uh, top five review system. It's a little different than what we've normally done. But now uh, we're going see, to move into Products of Imagination to discuss dragons. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier when we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Products of your imagination. Now we talk about it as an actual, fi- or I would have said physical product, but it's more of an electronic, an electronic product. Yeah. So, Liz, what did you think? Well, I liked it quite a lot. Um, I know you have mentioned in the past, you know, you don't care for things getting too spelled out because you like being able to put your own spin on it. Crunchy. I. I will say, you know, throughout this supplement, you know, it's basically, you know, said, you know, use what you want. 
Um, it's not trying to to railroad anyone who purchases it. You know, if you run the Ghoul Lands in Amherst, you must do everything in here. So you you are given you know leave to you know if you like the ideas that are presented, you know, grab them and run with them. You know, if you don't care for that particular thing, you know, it's like, eh, screw it. <laughs> okay. So I do like that it you know gives the the DM you know room to maneuver. You can use as much or as little as you like. Um, I will, you know, go ahead and reiterate what Jim said at the beginning of our top five. You know, the art is great. The layout is nice. I particularly like the little rows of skulls grinning at the bottom and the top of every page. Gives it a, a certain special something. A festive feel. Yes, a, a festive. A je ne quoi. Yes. It, it's, it's very nicely put together. And you've got, you know, you've got a nice balance of text and of art and just, mwah, very nice. Okay. Jim? Uh, I'm going to go with four dragons and the... Uh, we're, not, we're to that part, right? I was going to say, I didn't give dragons. Well, we're Should just I discussing right now, but okay. if you want to go ahead and throw your dragons out there, that's cool. <laughs> I'll throw my dragons out there. I'm going to go with four dragons, and it would be five. The only reason it's not four is because me personally, this is not my cup of tea for uh, adventuring, you know, because it's very dark and and brooding and, and, you know, just undead, undead, undead. That's just not my personal favorite thing. But Is there stuff out of there you would steal? Um... Not me personally, but if you were running a campaign, particularly a long going ongoing campaign, this is ideal for okay, for a year in this ongoing campaign, we're gonna go conquer these guys or topple them or go over there and adventure for a while. It's ideal for that. I mean, as a mm-hmm. product, um, it's just about perfect. I mean the layout is nice, crisp, clean, the art uh by Luigi Castellani is great, the maps by Tim Harton are very nice and you know, Peter did his usual job with the writing. I mean, it's everybody I ever met who played D and D has said, you know, I want to write my campaign up and and sell it. I mean, Peter just didn't do that, but his campaign is good. So, okay, Glenn, I've been agreeing with you guys. Can you hear my brain rattling when I shake my head? Yeah, I'm going to give it five. I like it. I think it's it's great. It's easy on the eyes. I read this on Becky's Kindle Fire, and okay. I had no trouble. I could read it with my glasses if I had it like, you know, portrait, and then i turn it over, and I could take my glasses off, and, oh, yeah, I can read. And it's very clear. I love that. The layout is very crisp. The artwork makes me envious, and uh, it's even got a color cover. What more could you ask for? <laughs> yeah. Glenn has art envy. Yeah. What about you, Liz? Uh, what was your dragons? I hadn't given dragons yet. I just mentioned what I liked and ah, threw it okay. to Jim. I so no dragons for me yet. I jumped. Yes, oh, this, I would like to get my be... opinions in, Glenn. Yes, you would. I just secret vote. Go. All right. On the whole, I like the layout. It does not have a table of contents. Oh, I forgot to say that. Which. I know I was harsh on Chronicles of Amherst about, but 
I'm beginning to wonder if maybe that's just the old curmudgeon in me because it is extremely well bookmarked. It's got a great index in the back. So I, I think maybe I'm not going to bash it as much as I did Chronicles because I think that I, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe that's just the way a lot of e-stuff's going now. Hmm. Is it, Jim? Uh, uh Probably, but I'm older than you, Mike. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm in the curmudgeon stage. I want a table. Well, yeah, I don't, I'm not asking you if you like it. I'm just saying, is is this a trend or is this just something? Oh, that sure, absolutely. Uh, James is doing, is. especially for products that don't uh, have a print-on-demand option. You know, if it's purely a PDF product, then this is the way people yeah. are doing them. Okay, it's got it's gotten to the point where if it doesn't have a table of contents, a damn well better bookmark it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 2013, and we should just be glad to get here. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's that's the only thing that really kind of stood out to me as a, an actual product, and I'm 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 coming toward the the light on that. I guess is that I I'm beginning to realize it's probably not as big a deal as I've made it out to be in the past. So, Liz, anything else you want to add, or you want to throw in some dragons? I guess I'll go ahead and throw in some dragons. I'm going to give this four dragons. Yay. Four dragons. Four dragons, yes. Uh, I thought you were saving back, holding back so you could put the hammer down. <laughs> One dragon. No, no, no I like And those it. other three. And, and those other three that get added in. <laughs> I really did like it. And even though I've said I would probably use this in a Ravenloft-type style, I think this is an utterly cool little setting for people to mysteriously find themselves in and be Mm -hmm. desperate to get the heck out. I know I would. (laughs) Well, you know, I love undead. Yes, I know. They're great (laughs) because they're, they're not morally complex. There's no, well, maybe we should consider the, the ghoul's feelings before we just attack it without even warning. No, it's undead. Kill it. <laughs> Don't yeah, consider I mean, the ghoul's that. feelings. One, yes. one thing I really I didn't mention before, but I really liked was the fact that it's not like I said, it's not your usual undead land. I expected something of a necropolis where everything's undead and there's no any people are there staying hiding and all this. No, it's kind of an integrated society, which surprised the hell out of me. It's Which a very they hide at night. But, huh? They hide at night, but yeah, the, yeah. They at least do their work during the day, right? But I mean, it's not like just a token bun- bunch of like human people who are like you know hiding in caves while the the, the undead roam the land all the time with impunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since very... bulls don't take much penalty for being in daylight, that would yeah. be very important. I gotta admit, at first blush, I expected the same thing out of it that Glenn did, and uh, instead, I got a very thoughtful and plausibly constructed medieval society where there's humans and ghouls, uh, mm-hmm. and human sympathizers who yes. are willingly working for the ghouls and <laughs> and hoping that one day, if they're really, really good, they can be a ghoul too. The cult of the reborn, yes, <laughs> yeah, you know. And- and la, and la resistance for the other, like the old religion people coming in trying to change it. Yeah. Anyway, you were saying, Jim? No, I was just going to get myself in trouble and compare it to a certain broadcast network. So, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please foxy, wait till next foxy. year before you do that. <laughs> how foxy of you. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yes, enough foxygen. <laughs> I'll actually I'm going to grade it four point five. Good for you. Because I was said four, but I'm I'm becoming more mellow on the uh table of contents issues and everything else is just really nice so right on Mike that works to 9 13 17.5 4.4 4.3 something like 4.3175 dragons <laughs> thank you Sheldon <laughs> I just made that up I don't know <laughs> you know what I got out of that Liz and I are still the hard asses <laughs> yep it's available on drive through RPG for how much do we know Seven ninety five. and I believe uh, RPG now also has it their sister yeah. site yeah well they're kind of owned by the same company aren't they yep Seven ninety five. Like I like we said Pete you send them we'll review them and that goes to anyone else who has a product. That's right. I liked it well Send enough it. to buy it. I bought it. Yeah. Yes, you liked it so much you bought it. And Amherst. Did you buy, did you buy Ghoulands? Uh, I bought oh, Ghoulands, you... and I've got a print copy of Amherst right in front of me. Oh, how's it look, by the way? Um, it's. I mean, it's typical print on demand. It's nice and sturdy and like a trade paperback. Good. Cool, cool. Was that through Lulu or through RPG Now? Um, I... Okay. All right. So All go, right. Buy well, go buy it. We're heading down that old road, that dusty, ghoul-stalked road once again. And how are we heading down it? Liz. I'm heading down the road haggling. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling my D12... The NPC doesn't like my face and will not sell to me, so I had to leave town in a cloud of shame and... And and, And road dust. Yes. (laughs) Glenn? I'm using the ruler's arm as a baseball bat and batting the head down the road. (laughs) (laughs) Boy. We're dating ourselves there with that one. Oh, yeah. Jim? I don't know what you youngsters are talking about. Um, I'm using my great key card to get into the upstairs of that iron tower because I'm hoping they've got the walking dead on dead on cable TV up there. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, it's also called a window. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm headed down the road holding my seeker des- desiccated head by the hair, which will point me the direction I need to go. Cool. Sweet. <laughs> He's also fun to talk to. Oh, yeah. What's his yeah, name, Scully? Here. Hmm? What's his name, Scully? Bob. <laughs> Bob the Scully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you at episode 84. Good night, everybody. Good night, Internet Land. Bye-bye. Rearch. The Savor Die Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions, and the Savor Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. Briark, copyright Mike Sturt Productions Limited. Any resemblance to persons or game systems, living or dead, is purely intentional and probably grounds for litigation. 
So sue us. Really, we need the publicity. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.